Make sure everything's working. I don't like washing my keys and keys. They're not dirty. <laughs> I don't. That's not. They're not all winners, sir. We're live. We're Welcome. live. Welcome to ah. Fantasy Island. There we go. Yes. Where did the chat go? It was up. Mr. Peabody, first to say hi. Hey. I'm popping out the chat. I popped it. <laughs> I popped it. Popped. Metropolis, Steve Murky. Sweet. Now we're talking. Hello, friends. Yeah, we're going to have a good show tonight. I tell you that. I don't see a random penis guy here. That's a good sign. Hey, everybody on COVID quarantine. What are you drinking tonight? <laughs> Mine is a Deschutes freshly squeezed. And it's almost freshly out. So I might have to go get another one before we get going here. What do you think? Nice. I have a freshly squeezed Dose Key. Uh-huh. Spanish beer. Where's my camera? Is that it? Yeah. And then when that's done, I will be upgrading to the who's in, uh, St. Arnold's Pumpkinator 2019. That's from October 2019? Yeah, but people keep these and like a fine trade wine? them. And, like a fine wine, yes. Yes, okay. Mm, good. Most of them are in my dad's beer fridge at his house. Dan is looking at something interesting. I just, yeah, I just found a treasure trove. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly if I can show this right, but. Oh my God, that's a this? turtle's floppy? five and a quarter inch floppy. This, yeah, this is, these are my original floppy disk games that I just came across in the basement, which is funny. Oil's Well, which is one of my favorite oh, old school that games. That game is awesome. It was on the ColecoVision. This version too. of Turtles. Yep, this is this is actually a nicer graphical one. This version of Turtles is unbeatable, which I learned like a year ago, and it always drove me nuts because you could get to a certain spot in the game, and uh, then there's a jump that is unbeatable, and I believe as a kid that I played this game for probably 500 hours, getting to that jump, dying, and then being like, what the hell am I doing wrong, and then replaying it, so that's exciting to see. Um, let's see here. What other fun ones do I have here? Uh... This one, Space Station Oblivion, was the first ever 3D game that I ever played. Hold it up and a it little higher. So there, there you go. It made me so sick playing it, but yeah. I thought it was the coolest thing. Sweet. Um, let's see here. What else do I got? Uh, this I have no memory of, but I want to. Elf. Elf. I didn't know elf. that there was an Elf DOS game, and apparently wow. I owned it. So that's cool. Um I might have to find some sort of machine to try loading Elf onto because That's funny. Elf is awesome. You know, I, I know there's uh, a couple of PC gamers that listen to the show, so they're probably just like, hey, i got to find this game now. Yeah, Andy Baldwin I mean, wants to know what, what version of that Turtles, if you can read it off the label. Yeah. Uh, it's the it's the Ultra one, which is uh, product ID L820021-IBM PC. So. Oof. And nice. each disc goes up by one. So it's a four-disc game. I believe that you don't get to the fourth disc before it bombs out. This one's exciting. Double Dare from Game Tech, which uh, I remember now that I see it, but I would have never remembered that I even played that before. That was a, <laughs> that was a fun but pretty bad game. I uh, had Mega Man from High Tech Expressions. Holy crap. I didn't even know that any of these were like made for PC. It's crazy. Well, now... This is why you have me on. And then this, <laughs> this is actually the true treasure. Um, 
I had this wacky Ghostbusters game that I remember, Ghostbusters 2. And um, Ghostbusters 2, from, and I could never figure out who it's from because I've never seen it since. This yeah. is from Activision. And this was like it was a different style game where you had to pick like what you were going to do next. And I have never seen anything on it. And I've tried reading all these different like, oh, this was Ghostbusters for the PC, like articles and finding it. And I've never seen it again. Mm-hmm. So um, I just noticed that I got this thing of discs like right before the quarantine started for my parents, actually. And uh, it was sitting on the ground and I picked it up and was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So now I want to get a computer working and <laughs> not beat turtles again. I might throw that one out. But um yeah, these other ones are fascinating. So that is great. Yeah, we were always behind the time. So getting stuff like Mega Man on um the computer was like my jam and Turtles was also it was clearly a computer thing because there was no way that my parents were my dad was very much someone who was like, "Hey, we we have an Atari 2600." You don't need a Nintendo. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> I was like, Dad, that's, it's really not. That's my but, dad. My dad is like, hey, aren't, aren't all video games really just Donkey Kong and Space Invaders? <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Well, and so it and was Pac-Man. funny. Right. It yeah. was funny, though, because my dad would take me to rummage sales. And so we would go game hunting all the time. And so, like, this collectible aspect of it has always been there of, like, digging through boxes and finding, like, a weird old game and going, ooh, look at that. So, yeah. <laughs> my dad my dad would uh, burn Atari EPROMs and built, like, you know, one of those hack cartridges where you had, like, the little the EPROM thing that clamped in EPROMs. And <laughs> yeah. I had, like, 200 EPROMs. So, luckily, my dad was a huge nerd. That's awesome. Wow. That is... Early piracy, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right, let's get things rolling. Uh, there were here. games I, I had g- games, and none of my friends were like, "Where, where did this come from?" <laughs> All right, let's get things rolling here. Uh, I've got a little intro thing I'm going to play. Let's see how this goes. Good set, guys. Good set. Uh, Looney Bird, I, I hate to say it, but you was a little bit flat on that last harmony. Oh, I'm sorry, Billy Bob, but I just can't stop thinking about something. Well, that's okay, Looney Bird. What's on your mind? I gotta get to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where they're having the world's largest fan-driven game convention, the Midwest Gaming Classic. Hey, I hear you, Looney Bird. I heard they got home video game consoles, old and new, tabletop games, and even a huge room filled with arcade machines. That they do, Billy Bob, that they do. Just like the good old days. <laughs> Just like the good old days, Looney Bird, except without the pizza. <laughs> Can we go, Billy Bob? Can we go to the Midwest Gaming Classic. <laughs> sure, Looney Bird. Soon as I figure out how to get my feet unscrewed to the floor here. <laughs> they can't join us this year, but you can. April third, fourth, and fifth at the Wisconsin Center in Milwaukee. <laughs> Live from KOIR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is Arcade Radio. <laughs> Intruder alert, intruder alert. 
Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 15 of the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 9th, 2020, and the time is now approximately 7.24 p.m. Central. I am really glad you're here. Thanks for joining us in the Arcadosphere. This is your host, Adam Aykroyd. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mark Time Runner Shields and Paradise Arcade Shop Proprietor and Part-Time Hurricane Chaser, Brian Thurston Howell Armitage Third. And joining us tonight, producer... And co-creator, an Amazon Prime show stories in the Midwest gaming classic and founding member of MGC. This, this, this guy has something to do with something called the the Midwest Gaming Classic, ladies and germs. Please give it up for Mr. Dan Lucen. It's good to have you on the show. So we start off a little thing called yeah, "What Have You Been Working On?" And uh, let's have uh, let's have. Uh, Mark, kick us off. Blanked out. I'm assuming you said me because I missed the name and no one else is talking. Oh, I said Mark, but Brian, oh. you, you can go oh, first. Yeah. <laughs> you guys fight it out. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, take it away. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, well, obviously I have my elevator action in here. I moved four machines into the garage that were sort of pushed aside on the side of the DeLorean that I can't get to. And, uh, and but right now I'm working on my Atari Pong project. That looks lovely, by the way. Thank you. It, it was very crunchy. And <laughs> so I have done a lot of wood, uh, you know, not woodwork per se, but, you know, a lot of wood hardening. Hardening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of gave it a lot of blue pills. A little <laughs> Cialis action. <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, so I'm working the, uh, right now. I've taken the monitor out, and it is really crispy. The, the you know everything has uh, some kind of a crispy, crunchy type of annotation around it. Um, I do have a color monitor, but it's like too wide. The picture needs to be adjusted, so I have to figure out how to do that or find another black and white monitor. So I've got you know some fun stuff ahead of me. Um, and, uh, can you tell us yeah. about the sticker you found inside? Oh, that is interesting. So on the on the the glass, there was a tech, state of Texas sticker from 1975, and oh. I didn't really think anything of it. But when I took the monitor out and moved the black shroud off of it, I could see somebody had written something on the sticker. So I stuck my head inside, and it, it said um, name of the game, the mo- the serial number, which all still mas- matched the outside, and then the last thing was Surf Drive In. That is really cool. So the Surf Drive-In was a franchise of drive-ins, um, mostly in Tex- Texas and South the Southwest. So I'm not sure which one it was at because there's been several out there. But pretty cool knowing that this uh, Pong was in a drive-in at some point in its life. That is really awesome. And I totally am so jealous you got a Pong. pong. By the way, by the way got- uh, all of the magnets went out. Uh, and Brian Frober won the Space Invaders magnet, and I sent him the wrong one. I sent him the logo one. He should have got this one. <laughs> so so Brian gonna... has to win it. Yeah, so he's going to have to win it again. 
No, I told him I'd send it to him. But anyway, um, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, Brian. So hopefully, I'll have I'll be playing. A pong will be here at some point. Who knows? <clears throat> Brian, you're up. Tell us what you've been working on. I get to go. I get to go. Well, let's see. Um, really, not been working on anything. I ordered a lot of stuff. Ah, what'd you order? Yeah. So I am. Uh, well, I am having my Earthshaker rebuilt, and the ramps were busted. So. I bought new ramps for that. I bought new ramps for the Bride of Pinbot re, uh, uh, playfield swap, which is coming soon. And I actually just received today um, two control panels from DK91105 on KLOB, who made Smash TV control panels. And so I've got two Smash TV cabinets that hopefully will be getting a return from golden tea and whatever the hell else the other one is sometime in the near future. So kind of excited about that. I'm debating whether I should do one as a total carnage and one as a smash TV, or if I do should do two smash TVs and sell one. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, Andy Baldwin asked, uh, the, or he says the magnets are great. And then he asked who made them. Uh, that would be uh, listener, Mike page, who was also on the show this year. Uh, avid pinball collector has a huge pinball collection uh, up in Canada, and they're all handmade. Every single magnet, uh, they're about five, six inches, and and, and uh, maybe a little bit bigger in some cases, and they are really, really nice. So I'm glad you guys like them. Um, that's that's awesome. All right, uh, before we get into the next segment. I wanted to know if uh, if we're doing the gadgets tonight, Brian. Are we doing gadgets tonight? I'm, I'm the, on gadgets, aren't I? You took away my segment, so. I, I, yeah, I got gadgets. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Dan, what have you been working on? Who's it's and what's it's. And don't, oh, yeah. don't tell us MGC, because we're going to ask you about that later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what have you been doing for yourself in the hobby right now, besides sorting through your PC games? Um, yeah, so there was sorting through my PC games, which literally just happened. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I've actually been uh, just kind of shuffling around some of my own stuff. I looked over here because I've been working. Um, I have a Dreamcast collection that's pretty much everything. And I moved into this house like at this point three or four years ago and never really set it up. And right now I have a little bit of time that I'm <laughs> like, you know, I might as well put this together. So there's kind of a bunch of Dreamcast games on the floor over here, and half of them have been organized, and I figured out that like I'm missing a box, and so I'm kind of tearing apart my basement trying to figure out where that box came from. Um, Sweet. Beyond that, I've actually played a little bit of games for the first time in a really long time. Which games? Um, which I, I beat the game Guacamelee for the Nintendo Switch, which is my first game beaten in probably two years. So wow. it's like five hours long. But for me, that's impressive. That is awesome. <laughs> Five hours is short, but that's good. I mean, like... Yeah, I... Right? Isn't I was that... just going to say, my brother-in-law always jokingly calls me the dealer that doesn't do the drug because <laughs> I never actually have time to play anything. Yeah. And I'm always like... Like, I I fix games on route when that theoretically happens sometimes now. And I you know, run the show and I do other things, but it's very rare for me ever to sit down and just be like, I'm just going to play a game. So <laughs> I kind of forced myself to do that. And it was nice. Oh, and actually I've also been reading a ton of retro gamer magazines and, um, the ones from the UK. Oh yeah. yeah. I have, that's I have, I have a subscription. Really awesome. Yeah. Did yeah. you, do you know, because of COVID they are behind on sending out the subscriptions this month. 
So uh, in order to placate everyone, they sent digital copies ahead. So you could download that. So that's kind of cool. I love that magazine. Uh, The guys that run that magazine are our age, Um, are our age. And um, I find it frustrating because they're – the print is so beautiful. It's a, it's a great magazine. It's a large magazine. But the layout drives me batty sometimes because the, the print is so freaking small. You can't read it I, without readers. Yeah, I've come to realize with it that the length of one of them is like the length of a full novel. Mm-hmm. And so I bought I buy them every once in a while because I see them at the store and I love them. But I purposely don't get a subscription because I had a stack of like 15 of them right. that I had read like a third of each and then stopped because I just ran out of time. And so I've actually read through probably six so far. Awesome. And um, yeah, and that's been that's been nice to kind of just read some of the stories and stuff that like, I mean, I, I don't know, perhaps that's the type of stuff that I love seeing and hearing at the show and that I'm kind of missing. So it's kind of filled in Perfect. a little bit for me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, is that, uh, they used to do like a, they had a load one, two and three of each year. They'd come out with a digital DVD copy. You could get every magazine in PDF format mm-hmm. and they don't do that anymore because of this, the digital subscription. Cause it would shortchange mm-hmm. the digital subscribers. Right. Cause basically at the end right. of the year, you could just go, I want to buy the DVD and I'm done. You know? Yeah. Plus, then you own them. You don't have to have a subscription. So, right. Well, I don't it's well know. worth it for anybody that's looking for them, but be prepared to invest like four or five hours per magazine. Yeah. And, but it's really good stuff. And it's often, it's often US based. I mean, it has to be. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, yeah. One of the, I was reading one that stuck out at me because it had mentioned in the beginning of it, they were like, oh, Marty Goldberg goes through the blah, blah. And like (laughs) Marty Goldberg is one of the guys that runs the show with me and I'm really good friends with him. And I was like, I had no idea that he did all of this. And I have no idea how much of it is him because they don't attribute any other articles in the entire thing to anybody. Right. Um, But yeah, I was like, wow, that's really cool. So that is really cool. All right, well, let's move on to the next segment. This is going to be weird because I'm not really sure who's doing what, but, you know, it's, you know, we'll figure it out, right? We'll figure it out. It's the Arcade News with Adam Stevens. Yes, that's me. So from PushSquare.com, arcade classic Pong levels up with an RPG revival. So role-playing mechanics have wheedled their way into pretty much every major franchise. So it's perhaps no surprise to see the industry's oldest outing revived as a sprawling adventure. Pong, or excuse me, Pong, Pong Quest promises a humorous new RPG reimagining of the flagship arcade classic, this is starting to bother me, in which you will assume the role of, what, a frickin' paddle? <laughs> have you seen the, the video? There's like a little trailer uh, uh, that I have the link to, but it um, is I'm really put, weird. I'm going to put the trailer in the chat, uh, but you should check it out. The second yes. piece of news we've got today is from NintendoLife.com. Tato's 1983 Western shooter, The Tin Star, 
is this week's Arcade Archives release. So Hamster's Retro Release of the um, for the Nintendo Switch this week is Tin Star. It's an old Western-themed shooting gallery, originally released for Taito. I say Taito. It's, I know it's Taito. 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 But it's Taito for arcades back in 1983. In the game, you control uh, the role of the sheriff who must take out a gang of thugs. But bam, 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 bam. As with all arcade archives releases, you can change various other settings, such as difficulty and the display, include blah, 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 blah. So this one will set you about a a, a whopping eight bucks. That's pretty good, right? Two players, eight bucks. I think that's a good deal. So, uh, but that brings us to our next, uh, uh, the the new segment, which uh, which we just invented, uh, and here it is. <laughs> this is the story of that important but overlooked character. Oh, you're an inventor. Yes, I am. What have you invented? A lot of things. Like? Like a lot of things, like things that you've heard of. Like? Well, things that you will have heard of, okay? <laughs> That's you, Brian. This is me. <laughs> oh my gosh. You got an awesome intro and then you just totally I, blew I, it. I was ready. I was waiting. I was waiting for the like end and then it just kind of drags on and there's this in the background. It, dra- it drags on. All right, so. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I love giving you a hard time. Yeah, I know. I, I think the, the biggest news right now, and um, I think people have been noticing this all over. Mark, I believe you commented on one of the posts, is, of course, Arcade Jason is back at it again, hmm. and he's doing the pie position boards. Uh, he's doing the pole, pole position? He's calling it pie position. Oh. Because oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a raspberry pie direct plug-in for a pole position. That's oh, so, that's sweet. So what's really kind of cool about this is, I, I, so guys have been working on the the FPGA version of this for a while, and I, you know the FPGA is is going to be amazing when it's done, but it kind of keeps hitting these roadblocks. And I, you you talk to Aaron about FPGA recreation of games; it really is a challenging thing. And the guys have hit a number of obstacles and working to overcome it. But what Jason did is he said, "Let's do something a little bit different and offer some other options." And so he's worked on this board that's a direct plug-in. Pi plugs into it. The really cool part is not only can you play pole position, pole position two, but you can pretty much play any driver a Pi can run, right? So here huh. you've got, you know, gas pedal, shift, steering wheel. What drivers do you want to play? So I think it's a great idea. I think even if the FPGAs come out, this is a wonderful add-on for people who have a pole position. And honestly, I've passed on so many pole positions because I just don't want to deal with fixing them. I, I might have to go find one now. Yeah, I like this idea. I really do. Um, I'm a big fan of the pie, and uh, I like pie. I like pie. I like turtles. So, yeah, <laughs> I like turtles and pie. So I'm, I'm all in. If, if this actually materializes, I will buy one. I mean, materialize. He, he actually ordered the prototype PCB. So, like, this <coughs> is not a, you know, and Saber. then what I... <laughs> This is this is moving. This could so actually kind of, this could actually make pole positions even more scarce. I mean the cockpits than they are now. And the problem yeah. is is that like all these barcades and and maybe this isn't a problem anymore with COVID, right? We can we can maybe get some of these games back, but uh, a lot of the barcades they they scoop them up, and now like a pole position, they can go buy it for three four grand, and they don't care because they'll keep it in storage until they need it to play, right? <laughs> 
Well, there was, you know, I, the last uh, auction they had out uh, down in Iowa, there was a really nice one there for about 600 bucks a cockpit. I mean, really nice condition cockpit. Pull That's position just two that, unheard of now. That is unheard of. That was last, that was, that was uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, tell me about it next time and I'm going to buy it. All right. So anyways, I thought this was a great idea. I, you know, Jason's been very transparent about this is MAME. This is not an exact emulation. But, I mean, who cares? It's fun. Right. I mean, like, and what's really cool about this, and Jason did a nice job of it, is it's a direct plug-in. So <clears throat> you don't have to modify the harness. You don't have to change anything. You're not screwing your, your, your game up to insert it. You're just actually plug it right in. If you haven't seen it, it's on... Uh, both KLOV and Facebook, he's got posts of the PCB that he's designed. He's done a really nice job. He's got a 32U4 chip on uh, on there to take the analog input of the gas pedal, translate that, and output it to the Pi. So, I mean, he's really done a nice nice bit of work with it. It'd be really nice. cool if, and maybe it's too too much of a an ask now, but wouldn't it be really cool if he supported, like, road blasters, pole position, pole position two, like, more than just those... Well, he could because we well, couldn't. It's at anything main place. Sure. So, but does but will it accept the fire buttons? Um, That's... you could. So he does have a thirty-two U four chip on there. So, and I know he's doing a USB translation of that. So it wouldn't take a lot to add a pin to that. Um, but I think that's a good idea, and I might want to bring it up with him for anybody who wanted to inappropriately modify their pole position. You know, I'm just thinking like you had Stun Runner uh, as well. So like you could make this a multi a multi main board for your pole position cabinet or for your yeah. road blasters. You know, for anything that had the, the triggers on it, you could at least play pole position, right? So if I'm in my Stun Runner, I should be able to play pole position. Well, it I, I'd have to check, but you have to have the same pinout. So you actually, it, sure. literally the board plugs into the harness. Okay. Uh, so if it is the same plug, they're not the same. Though. Like no, Stun Runner is totally different. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. like they're almost ten years apart. Maybe you could play Stun Runner in your pole position cockpit. That, How about that? Five years. That apart. you could probably do. Right. And I mean, the neat. Then I mean, it wouldn't take much. I mean, all you have to do is redo the pinout for another game. You could do a Stun Runner version. But then where do you I mean, get the buttons? Right. Because you're you have a shifter and a steering wheel in your pole position. You're going to have to have like a separate thing for your buttons. Yep. Hmm. Well, you have a, a, does Stun Runner have a brake? No. So you could use the, your brake as the fire button. Yeah. And I think it separates <laughs> left and right fire button. <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would be like, you're, you're leaving. <laughs> oh, that's funny stuff. Any more so. gadgets in the pipe? Is that the big one? Um, let's see. Gadgets in the pipe. Well, so the only other thing that I saw, which actually is Pi-related as well, is uh, PC John actually re-released, well, is re-upping his Pi for JAMA board, which is a JAMA adapter uh, board for Pi. Um, there was one other product. What else was I... Um, we talked about the P316 boards that uh, Docker was doing last time. Uh, we actually have two more monitor remote, remote boards showing up in a week. So Sweet. the remote boards for 7400s and uh, I believe for the U2000. I'll have to double check. But um, we've been trying to make stuff to replace the things that we have broken in the shop. Huh. So, oh, hey. yes. There's one more product. Oh. I completely forgot. Okay. Rampart panels are back in stock. Oh, at, at ParadiseArcadeShop.com. So, yep. So, yep. So if you're interested in building a rampart, we have the metal panels. Oh, I nice. like it. So you can make that Pit Fighter a game that 
is fun to play. Oh, oh wow. Oh, well, that, oh. That's, that does, that's just mean. It's mean. It is <laughs> not undeserved. The truth hurts. Adam has 10 pit fighters in his garage. Oh, I, it, ugh. <coughs> who, who would want that? <laughs> I mean, that sounds awful. All right, here we go. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Back, back to the to cave, cave with, with <laughs> Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Welcome to Back to the Cade with Time Runner. That's me. What's going on at the arcade? Well, let's let's remember last week where we listened to Chicago News Center 5's Barry Burnson, who was doing a three-part report <laughs> on the new video game craze sweeping the nation. Here in Illinois, a teenager has given up on his attempt to break the national point record for the Asteroid video games. Is that right, Barry Burnson? I Asteroid. Right. Okay. Yes. John Jones made more than 20 million points after playing for 41 hours on a quarter. The record is nearly 26 million points. And if you want to know anything about video games, this is the man that can He's tell you about Barry Burnson. Tonight you're going to give us part three on his report. He looks high so tech excited. Rec. What is high-tech rec? Well, it's recreation yes. that is high technology. So you know, Video game makers believe that their products Shut are up. starting to attract a whole new market. Adults, especially women, who would not have been caught dead playing pinball. The competition in this industry is so fierce that game makers won't even tell me the names of their new games, which are due out in October. But we did manage to get a glimpse into the future. Oh, my God. What Sam Dicker does for a living is to invent video games. He's one of the resident computer geniuses at Chicago's Williams Electronics Company. Last year, Dicker co-designed Defender, which right now is the number one coin game in the country. Sam uses this computer for a process he calls birthing, developing new effects for <laughs> games yet to be invented. Wait a the road second. from here to finished Dicker, video game may Dicker end up costing a company a million dollars. But nationwide, Defender is currently earning nearly eight million dollars a week. What makes a good video game designer? Well, you have to be a science fiction fan, you have to be a programmer, you have to be kind of an artist. Uh, we actually have to first please ourselves, and we're about the, the most finicky players around. We've played every game until we're bored of it. It's like a movie. You want to get lost in it. You want to forget that you're playing a game. You want to, uh, you know, when the game's over, you want to suddenly realize that you're in the arcade. <laughs> At Mother's Pinball in Mount Prospect, companies send their prototype games to be tried out in the field. Here, players can play games not yet available anywhere else. We watch the players, we check, the, check to see how long they play the game. They'll tell us it's too fast, it's too slow, it's too easy to play, it's too hard to play. Then there are the pirates, companies which illegally copy a successful game, undercut prices, and get out of the market before the legitimate manufacturer can take the case to court. This is the original Pac-Man. This is a rip-off version. In this business, timing is everything for both player and marketing exec. The life of a video game is basically six months to a year, depending upon the popularity of the game. And as players roll up higher and higher scores, the video game companies will try to roll up higher and higher profits. A new game being placed on location will always draw the player's first quarter. The secret in this industry is to get his second quarter and his third quarter and his fourth quarter and his fifth quarter. 
Well, the obvious question is, of course, how long will this smashing success last for video games? Well, there are plenty of new competitors in the field, each one taking more or less of the player's 300 billion quarters a year in this country. Home video game owners will soon be able to buy their own versions of Asteroids, Galaxians, and Pac-Man. So for the video warrior, it appears the sky is the limit, and we should note finally the U.S. military is about to start using modified video games to train aircraft pilots and oh, tank Oh, really? High-tech wreck. Oh, it's well, over. It's over. It's over. Thank God it's over. That's great. <laughs> wow, you played the whole thing. Well, yeah. 300 now, billion quarters. We only lost hey, like just five serious. viewers during the whole thing, but that's okay. Sorry. We So 300 billion quarters equals right. like, what, $75 billion in quarters dropped in arcades in the 80s? Yep. Doesn't that seem stupid high? It does. Yeah, that might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that a- that's wrong. I think it was an eight billion dollar industry, not seventy five billion. Well, they said that Defender made eight million dollars a week, but then at the end he said well, they're hoping to get one of their three hundred billion quarters a year, and uh, it just made me go, wait a minute, seventy five billion dollars? I don't think that the coin op industry was worth seventy five billion dollars back then. And in my head, it broke down to like they were making one billion dollars a week then, so each arcade would need to have like you know. Ten defender size hits per week. True, minimally. You know, and they didn't talk to Eugene Jarvis. They they talked to Dicker. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting too to me, Sam Dicker. Um, I thought, and maybe yes. maybe I'm wrong, but Larry Demar, and you know whoever that other guy is that we we know invented that game. But yeah, that's strange. Sam Dicker. Maybe he's just in charge of birthing with, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's possible. It's weird, a guy named Dicker is in charge of birthing. <laughs> he's a video game doula. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I no, don't know. No offense. Right. If he happens to be listening, he's not listening. Yeah, he's not. <clears throat> hey, Adam, could you, could you tell me one quick thing? <sighs> Again? What's in the juke? Is it over? Hello, and welcome to What's in the Juke. Dude, we have a call. What? Yeah. (coughs) We have a call, and it's related to What's in the Juke. Let's hear it. All right. Thank you for calling 612-548-GAME. This is Arcade Radio. Please leave your message after the tone. Howdy, Arcade Radio. Greetings and salutations from Billy7. You may be asking yourself, who the hell is Billy7? Doesn't matter. What does matter are the Moldorama souvenirs Adam has to give away for prizes. What is a Moldorama, you say? Well, only the coolest coin-operated device ever made. All machines were manufactured back in 1962 and 3 and produce a warm, freshly made, on-demand souvenir while you watch. So if you find yourself a proud owner of a cherished souvenir during the show or would like to add some to your collection during this time of social distancing, please head over, after the show of course, to our friends at moldorama.com. That's M-O-L-B hyphen A hyphen R-A-M-A dot com. Feel free to peruse their online store where you can purchase additional souvenirs, which come with an added bonus right now. Unfortunately, at this point in time, all of their locations are closed due to the coronavirus. 
However, Moldorama has now pledged all proceeds from online souvenir sales will go directly to these locations, helping to support their daily operations while being closed. One case in point is helping to feed and care for these animals at the zoos during this social distancing period. I just want to say thanks to the best and most knowledgeable arcade podcast on the interwebs, the double R's, Arcade Radio, and for their current weekly format during this time of sheltering in place. Be sure to scope their website for swanky and spelt merchandise, too. There's no offer of guarantee regarding this podcast being the most knowledgeable. If you have symptoms of euphoria, increased sociability, problems thinking clearly, loss of muscle control, paranoia, or unexplained bleeding, please contact your local physician immediately. This does not include Brian. Billy Seven is not affiliated with Moldorama Incorporated. Thank you, live long, and prosper, and I hope that we all can continue to enjoy the best show. And one quick note also, Moldorama will be closing their online store over Easter weekend to restock and spend time with their family, and it will be open again the next week. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> so that's it. Thanks. Uh, that's a plug for Moldorama.com. You should go check it out, buy a T-shirt. I have one. Uh, Billy has one. Uh, you guys should get one. They're pretty cool. And support them while they're, you know, doing stuff. And tonight yep. we're going to give away the three little pigs. So our two, um, our second and third place winners will receive one of these awesome piggy banks made by Moldorama. And you can, you can open up the slot. This one's already open. So if you want to store your quarters in that one, you can. So first place winner, yellow pig. And the... Second and third place winners will receive the the uh, pink pigs. Is that, does that sound add, good? I will add in that uh, it's really funny because Billy did an amazing plug for them, and their store is closed for maintenance. <laughs> really? Oh, wait, 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 wait! It just came back up. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was because we just sent so much traffic their way, right? All right. ten people. Ah. <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna play. Oh, Mark, why don't you tell them how this game is played? What's in the Juke is played by playing a tiny portion of a song popular this week. We will be hitting 1978, the month of April. I heard an echo. Man, I must be talking weird. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, part of it is where you play the little bit of the song, and then the people in our online chat have a moment to guess the artist, in which case you will be awarded a half point. Oh, that's where I play a clip. Half point. And if you can guess the title of the song, you will also be given a half point. Half point. And if you guess both quickly, full you, point. There you go. And if you don't really know it, fight it out. Okay, Adam. What's our first song? Uh. Well, don't say what it is. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Ask you. <laughs> okay. That, so I should not tell the name of the. First? No. Okay. You've done that. That's funny. <laughs> It's All right. been a couple of years. Yes. Uh, so our first song, uh, first clip uh, tonight, uh, yeah, begins uh, with with this little. Oh, I didn't know I was going to add the whole thing. Here we. Did that play? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right, that's so. That's your that. Those are your clips for that first track. Yep. Uh, Andy Baldwin and he gets man. That's not even fair. It's like right out of the gate. It's a full point. Full point. 
Jackson Brown running on empty. That goes to Andy Baldwin. You guys were close. Should we give her time to like reload their browsers, or should we just, just do we not care? Yeah. Does everybody want to refresh your browser so that uh, refresh you get browser. rid of the of the lag? Yeah, you know, because there there is a lot of contention about you know lag and such. If you're on a cell, your song like this next one, perhaps. Uh, this is this this might break the bank. Uh, I, I don't know if it is a cool song. Is it? Is it cool? Right. I've never heard it. All right, here we go. Should I play part of the middle of the song? I don't know. The intro is pretty iconic. Uh, except for, was this a chart hit? Did it actually make the charts? Cause it, did. Never, it did. It did. It was in the top five. Really? Well, we'll get flagged for playing too much of it, but here we go. I gotta, I gotta say, Ryan uh, S fifteen hundred in the chat. I have no freaking clue what this is. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard this song. I know who the band is. He did a song called Ghostbusters, but this is dumb. I have no idea what this is. <laughs> The intro is the best part. If anybody gets this, uh, I should just give them the prize right away. It's terrible. No, it's not Ray Parker. Steve, we already told you that. Yeah. That's not the name of his band. No, the name of his band is something else. Right. Yeah. I don't know, dude. This is. I would just give up. Yeah. Not Xanadu. That is correct. Give Zero FX gets a half point for that. It's definitely (laughs) not Zan. Okay, that was uh, Jack and Jill by Radio. R-A-Y for Ray Parker Jr. Jr. And Dio for not Dio. So uh, this next song you may have heard of. Did we play this last week? No, because that was a different year. Was it? Okay. All right, here it is. <laughs> Steve Murky is in with the Bee Gees. He gets a half point. And it is Night Fever. Billy Seven gets the other half point. Am I right? Half point. For both of those guys. So that's good. All right. Uh, this is very interesting to me. Uh, God, this just seems so familiar. Like I just did all this. We we didn't have these on a on a recent what's in the juke did we? Nope. Oh, <laughs> I looked. It's funny because uh, I made a COVID nineteen mix that has a lot of these songs. Oh, so all right. <laughs> and those night fever and staying alive both fit the COVID nineteen theme. Oops, I just gave one of the the songs. Away. Oh, damn it. <laughs> it's the Bee Gees again. That is Steve Murky, and it is staying alive. Mike Page is on the board. They each get a half point. Half point. All right, cool. All right. Uh, so wait. So how did that go? Steve Murky got a half point. <laughs> yeah, and Mike Page. Awesome, Mike. He wants. It. Mike already has one of these guys. So 
He might have two, actually. Because I think Brian, I think Billy sent him one and I sent him one. He's going to have like the three little pigs if he gets one of these. So. All right, back to the. Uh, what, back what to are, the game. Yeah, back to the game. Whatever this is. Yes. It's. Uh, all right, so this next track, uh, it also could fit the COVID 19 mix. <laughs> Great. Uh, here we go. That's all we need to play that. If, if they don't get it, they just don't get it, right? <laughs> hey, we've got uh, Jim Bodini in here. Ah, hey, like, Jim, what's up? Oh, we got, uh, he recovered from Tuesday. Okay, so uh, that is Andy, Kansas, and that is Dust in the Wind. Andy Baldwin gets a full point back. He's now ahead. Wait a minute. How does he get a full point? Because he says dust in the wind. Oh, he said sust in the wind. Okay, yeah, he gets it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. S and the D are next to each other. It's okay. So we should give him a, a half, a full, a full point. Full point. Full point. All right. Yep. Good. So this next. Okay, so this next track. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think I own this track actually. So I'm gonna pull it up in this hmm. other thing. So uh, yeah. So this one is. I don't know, the 70s, man. When was the, were these pulled from a specific week? 1978, April 7th. All right, so. Uh, You're and, 42 years ago. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, <sighs> not to drop any hints, but there was also a George Harrison song that I did not pick. Uh, this is interesting. Is this the name of the song? Because I can't find it. That's, yeah. It's, hmm. Eh, don't worry about it. We can always. Uh, I don't. I think I'm going to skip that one because I can't okay. find it. It doesn't even come up on Amazon, uh, which it doesn't. It should, right? I don't know. I, don't know. I have Apple Music, so I don't know what you're. I, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so. Oh, this is why. This is why. Yeah, let's try that again. All right, here comes your uh, next track. This one I do have. That's got to be enough, right? Such a good album. It is ELO. Billy Seven's got that. He pulled that and turned to stone is not correct. It is called something else. it's interesting that everybody knows it's elo but they don't know the name of the song it's a, it's a tif- okay so that's it we're just gonna say it's a sweet talking woman by elo right? right all right well so we'll go back to the other one that i thought i didn't have and i'm like why isn't it showing up uh, uh this one Oh, did you say? Uh, did you say who was? And Andy Baldwin got it before it broadcast, so I'm going to give him the half point. Okay. So Billy Seven got the he got ELO and Andy half got point for each of those guys. All right, here we go. I really like that song. I don't own it actually. Low turns is 
a little muddled, but the intro is awesome. We can do it. Andy Ballman with Wings, and can anybody get the song? We can clear it up, we can bring it in. He did say the song. There you go. There's the name of the song. I just gave you the name Somebody of the song. Somebody type it. Yep, just type it. Nope. It's, it does sound like no, that. Really. It does it sound, sound like, like that, but it's, uh, it's actually with a little luck. Which, uh, that's a terrible song for the What's in the Juke, but it is difficult. Hey, Steve Murky got it. Steve Murky got it. All right. Let's give it to him. All right. Nice. Uh, Okay. Uh, This is a good one. Now, there's like, there's a a little bit of stuff happening at the beginning. uh, Of this song? Yes. Well, all right. Like that? Oh, there you go. No, that's good. That's it. Nice. Hey, hey this song is about COVID-19. <laughs> and I'm losing control. Uh, <laughs> You're the one that I want, Grease. Uh, who got Grease first? That would be Billy Seven. But Billy I that's, Seven. that's not really the name of the artist, right? Right. You actually have to, the people who performed the song or how it's attributed Sure. So it is You're the One That I Want. Somebody got that, Andy Ballman. And it was John Travolta and Olivia Newton. John, Mr. Steve Murky, right? He was the first to half say both. Points. I think he gets it. He gets it. He okay. gets a half point. So Steve Murky, man, you're you're uh, uh, you're doing pretty well tonight. I think he's up to two and a half points or something, right? Two points. He just pulled into two. And we have, who, why don't you give us a rundown who is who's in the lead? Andy Baldwin is in the lead with 3.5 points, followed by Steve Murky with two. And then in the distance, Billy Seven, but still happy. And then right behind <laughs> Billy, good zero FX and Mike Page with half point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next yeah, two more to go. I think that's enough. That's a good one. That one's aged well. I didn't used to be a, a fan of his because every time I looked at this guy, I thought he looked like Richard Lewis or uh, <laughs> what's his name? Lewis. Andy Baldwin. <laughs> He's. <laughs> well, what was I saying? Andy Baldwin has the title of the song, Baby Hold On to Me. <laughs> there well, you go. Hold, hold On to Me. Close enough. Baby Hold On is the correct it, answer. And then Steve Murky got Eddie Money first. Yeah. So, Okay. All right. It's a tight race. Tight so we, race. So we got some half points going there? Half yep. point. It's a tight race. Okay, here, here comes the last. Good grief. Rest in peace, Eddie. A lot of fighting. Uh, so this is your last track. Right. Mr. Peabody. Damn the 70s music. <laughs> well. It does take a while. Actually, most of us, I don't know. Most of us were around in the 70s. Here you go. Yeah. Arguably one of the best intros to this band's uh, career ever. 
Yeah, not not similar to other songs though. It's yeah. it's a unique And Yeti gets the band with Journey. Nice. I like it. And yeah, it is Wheel the in the Sky. Uh, that's pretty good. That is good. Steve Murky gets another half point. Half point. All right, where does that put us? Andy Bowman wins. Steve Murky in second place. And <laughs> third place, Billy Seven. All right. So, so that's weird. You're going to send him back. <laughs> So actually, I bet Billy's going to want us to give one of these away to one of the next person who won. So yeah, so the the third place is a three way tie. Oh, we need another song then. Sure. All right. Play anything. Okay, so uh, Andy Bowman, uh, he gets the yellow pig. You got to mark that down because I'm never going to remember it. And then Steve gets a pink pig. And then I'm going to pick a random song, just a, just a completely random song from any era. Uh, <laughs> This ought to be good, right? So huh. there's three thirty-five thousand tracks in here. Let's just pick one. All right. Are we ready? Yeah, this is a race between Give Zero FX, Mike Page, and Yo Eddie. All right, here you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let's see if anybody gets that. I don't know. It's pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Peabody, Andy Baldwin. You can't play Andy. You, you can't won. play Andy. Damn it. <laughs> Sweet Frame, Mike Page, Sweet Dreams. And who's the band? Eurythmics, Give Zero FX. <laughs> Just add him to the board. <laughs> really, this is only... <laughs> now, now only two people are tied. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Who, who got another one? Well, who, who got the two half points? Well, Mike, Mike Page, Page. Right? And give zero effects, right? Oh, he had. I thought he already won. Oh, he's. Oh, Jesus. No. So now we're down to two. Okay, one more song. This never happens. One okay. song. So one, only Mike Page and Give Zero FX can guess yeah, this. Mike Everybody Page, else sit back. Mike Page and Zero FX, get ready. This is your. This is it. And, and we're gonna pick another random song. And here it comes. It is. Oh. All right. Here we go. I have no idea. There you go. 1985. It was a good year. 1981. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Phil Collins, Mr. Peabody. You're not playing Mr. Peabody. (laughs) Not Genesis. In the air tonight. Give zero FX. Gets the other pink pig. I don't see who got the other. You guys are a bunch of badasses. Okay. We'll send out pigs to whoever we want to. That was fun. All right. (laughs) Done. Moving on. Is there another voicemail? Oh. And as a matter of fact, there is. Howdy, Arcade Radio. Greetings and salutations from Billy Seven. You may be asking yourself, I don't know what Billy Seven. I'm not playing this. Doesn't matter. What does matter are the Moldorama souvenirs Adam has to give away for. Howdy, Arcade Radio. Greetings oh my and salutations God. from Billy Seven. You, guys, you may be asking yourself, what is happening? Do you guys hear that? I'm asking myself what is happening. <laughs> All right. Hey, Dan, are you here? That's great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for calling 612-548-GAME. This is Arcade Radio. Please leave your message after the tone. 
Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from... An inmate at Florida Correctional Institution. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. Thank you for using Tnetics. You may start the conversation now. He's been having a hell of a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, he was in the hospital before, and now this <laughs> happened. They threw him into prison. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he's making his own mask out of his headband. Mm. Oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, you know what that means. We should play like a wah wah sound after that. Nah. Yeah, it's because it's so sad, you know. <laughs> but it, we really should welcome Dan back to the show. Welcome back, Dan. Hello. You're, you're still <laughs> here. Oh. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't involve him as much as we should have. This. Just, yeah, I know. We should have liked. Uh, I don't know any. Well, actually, this was the only time that I've ever known any of the "What's in the Juke" songs. So. Oh, sweet! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I was born after that date, but yet that was like the only ones that I've been like, oh, I know the names of these. So, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> who knows? Our, our parents listen know, to them. Did, did you know, oh, there you go. Did you know the radio one? Oh, the radio one. Nobody knew that. Jack and Jill by Ray Parker Jr. It. You know, you, sh- you should test market these before you put them into the thing. No, I knew that that one was going to be a pain. <laughs> but the intro hey, was have so have cool. some pains. The <laughs> intro was so cool. I was like, it's worth listening to this kind of cool intro because it's very, you know, uh, that's edgy. Funny. Edgy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's nice to know that Ray Parker Jr. existed before Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. You know, it's true. None of us. A lot of us did not know that he was even a thing. That's kind of like, you know, Rufus. We didn't know Shaka Khan was part of that. <laughs> That's true. 
And besides Rufus, it sounds like a dog's name. Terrible band name. Yeah. I'm just going to call my dog Rufus over here. Yeah, hey, Rufus. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, Dan, how are things going? Things are okay. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a weird situation and not one that was a, you know, not one that we had a regular, this was what we planned to do type thing. But, um, I mean, ultimately, it is what it is. And... There's there's bigger problems that other people have, and so I have kept that perspective kind of throughout it. And sure. um, you know, it's like I mean, not not to get morbid or anything, but I know a couple of people now that have actually died from this thing. So right. um, the, when it comes down to it, um, I came from the world of theme parks before I was an executive for Six Flags for a period of time. And our whole thing was always the safety of the guests and the employees are the most important thing. And it's funny because I recently read an article that said like, oh, you know, that's true, but only after money and profits. And it was like, eh, you know what? I've worked for some companies that that would be true for, but Six Flags, like there were days where I know that that wasn't the thing. And quite frankly, the company went bankrupt shortly after I stopped working there, not because of me, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I know that it was not, there was no, there was never cutting on safety. If it was a safety thing, it was 100% what we were going to spend on. And so um, I guess the benefit that I had from all of this, from having worked there is that I, um, I got to be trained really well on like um, disaster and crisis response, because if I was ever in charge of the park and like, God forbid, a roller coaster derailed or something like that. I would be the person that would be coordinating the response from the park side. And because of that, it like there's kind of this method of how you go through a crisis. And because of that, I had that experience and that ability. And I, I was just thinking like, you know, I, the last thing that I would want and the worst thing that could come out of this is if we are forced to go ahead. And if we end up where, you know, we spread it and people get sick or die because of this show. And that's not, that as much as the show means to people, that would be something that I would never feel comfortable with ever. So this was the right thing to do, even though it sucks and I miss it. And I, I was really looking forward to doing some cool things this year, but um, ultimately the right choice was made. So uh, we played the, the little showbiz pizza ad that you've had running before the show. Yeah. I, I saw that I you guys that. updated it for this year. It was a little yeah. ironic that the voiceover was like, they can't join us, but you can. Um, yeah, but you actually can't. We should, <laughs> we should update it with that. We should we should update it with it saying, they didn't join us and neither did you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and by the way, I, I just want to clarify something real, real yeah. quickly, and I'm sorry to hop back in. But no. when I say that the choice was made, the choice wasn't ours fully. It was really the cities that chose to shut it down. There's a very particular reason why I want to make that clear with everything that I say. It was not Dan Lucen decided that he knew infectious disease enough to shut down the show himself. It was the city and us, the city told us. And I confirm that I agree that it's the right choice. Sorry. Okay. Well, that's, you know, and, and I know that you had to get to that, uh, that place. And um, I, can you tell us what it's like to, to have a juggernaut like MGC? I mean, because in the ad, it's like the world's largest, you know, uh, all encompassing gaming show. <sighs> Uh, I think definitely the Midwest, you guys have that niche. Uh, you probably nationwide, if not, the, you know, throughout the world have this, the biggest 
uh, draw to Milwaukee, mm-hmm. despite your crappy weather for the last two years, by the way, which huh. was really was daunting. this weekend. I know. Last weekend. I know. It was awful. I was actually looking forward to being like not on the 13th and 14th so that we could possibly escape that weather. But yeah. Uh, well, and, and by the way, here's Wisconsin for you. Yesterday it was 72 degrees out and like we had the windows open on the house. Today it was snowing. So yeah, it's uh, snowing. you never know around this time of the year. Yeah, it's snowing us it is here as well. So anyway, uh, what is it like to have a show of this size? First of all, give us some numbers of the last couple of years. Of, of uh, you know, regular attendance uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. I know you have uh, about the same for family day usually. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the numbers and then tell us what it's like to have to suddenly shut this down. So, yeah, well, and it's kind of a unique thing. Um, the attendance, let's see here, the last two years, um, I believe that last year we ended up having 15,000 people in total. That does partially include um, Friday, um, but Friday was like 400 people, so that doesn't really matter. The year before was about 12,000, so um, things were going well. And this year we, we do a lot of internal tracking, and we never like to say what our numbers are going to be because you never know what's actually going to happen. And so the last two years with snow on Sunday – um, our walk-up attendance on Sunday, both of those years, was super far off what we were anticipating. And the way that the show usually operates is that on Sunday, walk-up attendance is by far the strongest. And so um, having that way off was, I mean, two years ago it was almost crippling. And then last year we kind of planned for it and planned to around in case something like that happened. And it wasn't nearly as bad. While we had a snowstorm, it was not... Uh, so much to drive people from not coming to the show as much as it was just a pain in the keister for move out. Um, but so we we had that this year we were looking for another significant increase in attendance and um, we had purposely like pulled back some of the advertising to push it more closer to the end. And right before all this stuff started happening, we were having the strongest response that we've ever had. Um, we had actually surpassed last year's people that were interested in the show like a month and a half um, in advance on Facebook. And all of that was just building up. And it was it was feeling very exciting, but there was this little thing kind of in the background of like, oh, exactly what's going to go on with this. And so I guess that for me, the, the shutting it down portion of it was not... Um, it, it, it just kind of, it followed logically. And what I mean by that is that little by little, like the news was coming in and I had someone that's involved with the show who was helping to coordinate the response, um, for this, um, in a position that I don't think I'm supposed to share. So I won't, but he was up high enough that he was being able, he was feeding me information about what was going on from his perspective. And at first he was like, you know, look, we're going, we've got, as long as we get testing going properly, um, we think that we still can contain this. And he was giving me numbers to look for. And all of a sudden, um, it was actually the Tuesday, like three or four days before we were canceled, he called me up and he was like, we were supposed to do be doing 100,000 tests a day right now, according to what I was told. We're doing like 500. He said, this is going to get out of control quick. And so I was mentally prepared to shut down the show basically a couple weeks before because of talking with him and then like crossing our fingers that, Hey, this was all going to work out. And then, I mean, I was just waiting once after Tuesday happened, we, um, 
the, the reason that it's important that I mentioned that it was everybody came to this decision is that it has to do with how contracts work and stuff like that. And that's one of the things that people really don't understand with this whole process is that, um, like there was a wrestling convention that was held in um, Tampa and they were complaining online that, oh my God, the whatever hotel is still trying to charge us $110,000 to shut down our show. And this is so unfair. And it's kind of like, that's what everybody's doing. Like the, I understand that everybody's freaking out that this doesn't seem fair, but that's what everybody does. Um, after we canceled, we paid out already more than $12,000 in cancellation fees. So, um, and like that was the better response was to get this. And we, because we had set up some of our contracts to be better than they were, we, we have to pay this out, but we're going to get to reuse it now in the future. And a lot of shows are not in the same position that we are. And in many ways, we're very lucky because of that. And so it was, it was the logical next step on what needed to be done. And as best as possible, I had to take emotions out of that and just say, like, this is it. This is what we're doing. And this is the best thing for us, our guests, our patrons, and everybody else. And we, we fully do expect to be able to come back next year bigger and better. I'm kind of having a little battle right now with um, – the location. I don't, I don't mind mentioning that, uh, they changed salespeople on me and the new person, um, does not seem to realize that there's a big issue going on. And so I hope that we can figure that out in the oh, next couple a, days. A pandemic. Yeah. Well, it's weird because like, I, I, again, I don't necessarily, I'm not calling anybody in particular out here and it's not directly the Wisconsin center, which is also the weird thing about this, but um, like I was told today, like, oh yeah, you're, cause we haven't officially signed for next year yet. And mm -hmm. part of that was that we wanted to figure out some certain things and the space is being filled in kind of odd ways. So we're trying to work in between other shows and stuff like that. And I was told today because I was like, you know, we're, we're not ready. We're not at the point that we can sign right now. You know, what, what do we need to do? And they were like, well, just so you know, if someone else, uh, makes an offer on the space, you'll have 48 hours. And if not, you'll lose your contract. And it was just like, do you not understand that right now we have to figure out how to pay everybody back first? And then once I've got that, I can like think about next year. But like if in two or three days from now, someone shows up and says, oh, yeah, we want the same weekend as them, that my answer is going to be no. And then I'm going to move out and never come back to the Wisconsin Center. So um, I hope that my email today, which was not intended to be nasty back, but I hope that they understand that more because, I mean, I know two or three other show promoters that do d different genres completely than what we do and they're out of business completely and uh, like it's fascinating to me that it seems like there's a number of places that don't understand that that's what they're driving people to do mm -hmm. so and by the way it's not the patrons like we are doing our best to refund everybody we're trying to update everybody on that on if they want it otherwise they can push their tickets to next year or whatever we're doing our best to do that and all of our people have been awesome. Like I'm continually impressed by how awesome this community is and how everybody is completely understanding of that. But it's like the actual operators are just like, we need money now. Give me money now. And it's just kind of like, we're all in this boat together. Please don't make all of the show operators go out of business because once things return to normal and they will, who knows when, but they yes. will. Um, when they do, if everybody's out of business, who are you going to rent the Wisconsin center to? Who are you going to rent your space at your hotel to? Who's going to take up your hotel rooms? And if the answer is nobody, because you put them all out of business, that's not really going to work. And 
by the way, if you put me out of business, I'm going to go clang pots on my roof and scream that this place is causing me to go out of business. And I know all these other show organizers that won't go to you either. So like, it's, it's strange to me that so many of these locations don't understand that right now, it seems like, but mm-hmm. I think that they're going to get there. And they're, well, they're desperate, right? So right, is, which there, is, is there insurance for a like, show I, this I, size? So, Sorry. well, yeah, let I'll get into that in just a second, but what okay. I just wanted to say there is that one of the things that is tough is that I had all these personal relationships with all of our salespeople. I do not have any of the same salespeople now in any location that I did when we were supposed to be running the show. This happened to you um, at Sheraton. <laughs> the, well, the, the Sheraton happened because uh, well, the Sheraton is a different story. Yeah, but, but, but the they, Hilton, changed, they, they changed um, owners the, too, right? Right. They changed owners, although the, the salesperson that was there was still there. They The Hiltons uh, fired their um, – he was like the second general manager. I don't know what exactly that position is. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. sub-general manager or whatever. Um, and he was the one that had really protected us. He was an operator, which the way that I describe that is that like – and this comes from kind of my thoughts on it from Six Flags is that – the operator is the one that figures out how to get stuff done. Like ultimately if everybody is doing something and you're just like, no, 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 you're not going to be a good event organizer because ultimately you have to figure out something that works. So like at six flags, we would have say a group show up for a picnic. And if the soda machine was broken where their picnic was going to be, we didn't just go, you don't get any soda now you know, good luck, enjoy yourself. It was, how do we do this? Do we get pictures to them? Do we move them to a different thing? And the answer was, you just have to come up with an answer. And the salespeople that we had at the Sheraton at the very end had stopped doing that. They just came to me instead and were just like, no. And they were trying to claw back stuff from us. And quite frankly, the the Sheraton the last year, and I wasn't overly public about this because it's, I mean, like, I still love the Sheraton. I would go back depending on the deal. But the, and by the way, the salesperson that was there is not there anymore either. But um, the Sheraton was looking to raise room prices, which were, I believe, 115 the last year that we were there. They were looking to raise them to 250 bucks a night for people. Because they were, yeah, because they were like, oh, we sell out and we need more money from you guys. And they were trying to double the the, um, cost of the rest of the hotel. And they were, um, they were telling us we couldn't use. Yeah, they were telling us that we couldn't use the lobby anymore, and we couldn't use the uh, um, what? Um, yeah, the restaurant. And we were just like, okay. And at the time, I think that they thought, well, they have no other options. Ha ha, this will be great. And then that's when the Wisconsin Center came along. So there'll be an option one way or another. But sorry, sure. I cut off your question about insurance before go ahead oh uh well i was i'm gonna ask that first but a couple of people in the chat that have been (laughs) even the blizzard of mgc 2020 was canceled which i think is funny yeah uh also a good point (laughs) also um two people have said mgc should move to minnesota uh which i would love but (laughs) keep that in mind If, if thing gets if stuff hits the fan who knows? Maybe you know we, uh-uh. we we have a couple of places here in town that are fantastic for conventions, and we know how to run them here. So we'll be glad to help you out. Uh, the and then uh, there was one other uh, somebody said. Um, uh, well, actually, let's just ask the question about uh, insurance. So there's is there insurance sure. for a show of this size? So 
The answer is both yes and no. Um, and it gets even more nuanced than that. So is there insurance for a show this size? Yes. As a matter of fact, most locations um, force you to get insurance to operate. So like, for instance, the Sheraton started forcing us to get insurance to operate, I think when we went back to them in like 2009 or 2010. Um, before that point, the Olympia had covered our insurance, according to them. Um, the first time that we were at the Sheraton, I don't think that they ever asked for it. I know that we didn't have it back then. And I mean, hell, we were very small. And then the stuff before that, we didn't have it. But so when we got there, they basically say, yeah, so there's like a website that you go to and you type in your event information and then you say, you know, here's my event. And they say, cool. And it's like, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks and you pay for it. And then they send you a certificate and they say everything's insured. And so that's what we would do. And, um, the problem is, is that that insurance basically covers nothing. So, um, yeah. as a, for instance, we, we are very lucky right now to have met an agent that helps us extremely much. But so he was curious about the insurance. So he asked if he could go through it for us and we said, sure. And so this was either the last year or the second last year at the Sheraton and he read through it and we were under the impression that we were pretty well covered. And he was like, so here's the deal. If the tent gets blown over by a tornado, you're not covered. If the mm -hmm. tent collapses, you're not covered. If the tent electrocutes people, you would be covered. Oh. But how is the tent going to electrocute you? So um, <laughs> it was extremely narrow. And in this case, they purposely don't write in stuff like pandemics because they don't want to pay out for it. Um, having said that, we switched with the agent to insurance that's significantly better. Um, Without going into great detail on it, we have insurance that's not normal for a show of even our size to get. It's usually for much larger shows. And so we don't know right now what is going to happen exactly, but we have some assurances that at least some of our expenses that are unrecoverable will be helped with that insurance. And the problem is, is just that like we are one of thousands of events right now that are going, Hey, help me out. <laughs> right. And at the same time, the industry keeps going into these crazy things. So like a couple days ago, American family and Aflac, I think it has announced that all of their auto insurers were going to get back money on their premiums because they had not gotten, they haven't had as much accidents ever since all the lockdowns started. So they're going to give people back their premiums. Well, this is Whoa. great. But now the insurance company that's dealing with us is like, we need to figure out what we're doing with auto people so that all of our auto clients don't leave. So they were like, we have to put everything with you on hold so we can go do this. So like, I don't even know if I'm going to hear anything this week about it. And like, they also, um, they would not even talk to us about it until this come this past Monday, because they were like, well, you might be able to be allowed to still run. And it was like, even if they announce on Friday, <laughs> right. hey, guess what? This was all a gag. Like, yeah. you can open back up. What the hell were we going to do? Right. Like, and there was already tons of people that had decided they're not going, including myself, because of this right. thing. So, okay. yeah. you know, I had I had two hotel rooms reserved. I was, you know, gunning to go. And, um, right. and then I... I was like, okay, this is ramping up. Like the coronavirus thing was ramping up so right. fast. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to risk interacting with 10,000 people. And by the way, I listened to your live thing the other day. Mm. And my one of my favorite quotes was <laughs> the city <laughs> the city was asking you about like whether or not you're going to still want to hold it. And you're like, well, we're all around we're all 
touching each other's Grabbing joysticks. Grabbing each other's joysticks and touching oh my each other's God. buttons. <laughs> just... That was my quote that I actually said to them, and I said to them before I said it, I don't want to sound crude, but literally we are all grabbing each other's joysticks and touching each other's buttons throughout the weekend. And Because, again, this is where it was, it was frustrating nope. because the city kept being like, oh, it's going to be fine. Oh, it's going to be fine. And I was like, and they were like, it won't really affect you. And it was like, you don't understand. Then they were like, well, can't you just get rid of the stuff that – you know, you might have people. I don't know, like, like all the games. And it was well, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I guess we could have an Xbox playing Connect, and that would be about it. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah, it it was interesting. And the thing that was difficult about it too is that, and I know that we weren't the only group that had this, is that as we got up to that weekend where we canceled, which was the thirteenth, I believe it was. Um, <laughs> At first, like a couple days earlier, the governor of Wisconsin made the suggestion that um, events that are larger than 250 don't run, but it wasn't an order. And so that with like insurance and stuff like that and with the city, they were like, no, no, no. And so I had contacted the city and I was like, can we talk about this? Because, the, the like I said, the whole fondling each other's joysticks and button thing was an issue. And so <laughs> now we're um, up to fondling. I said, like, we we are more at risk because of this than other shows and stuff like that. You know, can we figure out something here that like, can we get an official order for this so that we can officially shut down? And at first the response was like, well, wait, you're thinking that you're not going to operate. Okay. Well you need to pay out more money by Monday. And it was just kind of like, what? Like, and there was like, well, if you're thinking that you're not going to fulfill your contracts, you know that your contracts go up. So, and so that's where we had kind of the freaked out, like, oh my gosh, please go and contact our governor to do this. And I was told at the time that the city would not be making the call. The city was going to follow the governor. And luckily the city of Milwaukee canceled us later that night. But I know people that ran, that were forced to run shows that weekend in the suburbs because if they didn't run their show, they ordered, they owed a quarter million dollars. And instead they lost $30,000 and are still hoping that nobody gets sick because what was frustrating about that from a show organizer perspective is when the government gives you the option of shutting down or not, so many of your contracts swell, but at the same time, they have now pushed the liability completely onto you. So if the show that was, it was honestly just down the block from me, um, like two miles, if that show that was forced to run that I know lost $30,000, if they were spreading the virus there and people could track it back to them, they were now financially on the line for the virus spread and could be sued over that. And so it put us in this really bad situation where it was like, we had these people that suddenly were like, oh yeah, you're, we're going to force you to pay this. And you know, if not, we're going to, we're going to come for you. And it was just like, what the hell are we doing guys? Like we're all supposed to be on the same side here. And like, I'm not, I'm not trying to screw anybody back or anything like that, but let's, let's not do this. Let's think about what's best for people. And like, honestly, if not getting together is the best thing, let's figure out how we can make the show survive so that next year and the year after and the year after we can come back and then if you make all this money from us, great, we can give you all that money in the future. But if you kill me now, there's no way to, to come back from this. So one thing that you did that was really interesting is uh, for people that bought tickets, you made it a forever ticket. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I've, I've probably sounded a little bit negative about certain things, but we've 
there's a lot of positives that have actually come out of this. And so one of the things is that we had this thought early on of like, well, what can we do here? Because if we have first, if we were in the situation where, like I said, I, w- I had this person on the inside that was telling me like, this is what's going on and this is where we're going and this is what it looks like. And he kept telling me, it looks like it's spooling up, but if we do the response properly, we will be able to contain it and nothing will change. And like, if you look at, for instance, South Korea, South Korea had an outbreak but because of how they were able to bring up testing and stuff like that, they were able to contain it without shutting down their economy completely. And South Korea is also a democracy. Um, some people, I think, don't realize that they are because they're near China, but they're a democracy. My wife actually traveled there for something this past year, and she was surprised by how similar in many ways to the United States it was. And so my contact was telling me, like, look, like I think that this is going to get under control. I think this is going to get under control. And so we did that because part of this was that we were looking at ticket sales and ticket sales had been doing great, 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 great. And then the reporting on this happened and they just fell off a cliff. And we realized two things is that number one, part of this is that people are concerned that if the show gets outright canceled, what happens and will I get something that is unusable? And we've had a couple people in the past few years that went like, oh, well, I bought a ticket for Sunday and you guys didn't give me a refund. And it was like, yeah, because we ran the show. But we said, okay, if we have to cancel the show, we're going to figure out a way to give everybody who wants one a refund. But it would be way less hard financially if we can get some of those people to be comfortable keeping their tickets. And so we sat down, this was Gary and I, and we said, all right, well, what can we do? Because if we just say it's good for next year, but we don't know when next year is, then I don't feel comfortable with that. Then I'm going to want a refund. And we said, how about number one, all of our tickets have always been completely transferable. So if you buy a ticket, you can pass that ticket to anybody else. They can use it. Number two, we said, let's make it good for any show that we ever run forever. And so we put that up and said, Hey, like, you know, this way you can be comfortable with this. And until the last two days before we canceled, it put ticket sales back at like 110% of where they were the previous year for those other days. And people felt comfortable with that. And then the other thing that's great is that we've, I'm going to guess that we've only had about one third of the people that bought tickets ask for refunds right now. And we're working on getting them. Um, we're working on recovering money from different places. We're working on the insurance angle We're we've applied for some loans. We've done some other things. Um, everything's taking longer right now than it would have, but we're going to get that money, but it would be way harder if it was triple what it is right now. So, um, we're, we're glad that it worked out like that and that people understood like, Hey, like this is an investment in the future of the show. Hmm. I think that's great. I think it's a perfect idea, you know, and, and I don't want to wait till 2021. Somebody said, um, earlier, have a pop-up someplace i know you mentioned there may be some sort of mgc light can you talk to us about what that might look like yeah so um gary and i have been talking about doing a secondary show for a long time um we've been asked to get involved running a number of different shows in the past um we've consulted on a number of different shows in the past. The problem is, is that taking the full Midwest gaming classic and trying to pick that up and move that somewhere else. When you've got so many volunteers that help drive up the show, our volunteer count last year was over, um, over 1000. 
And so when you've got a thousand people that help really make your show move forward, it's kind of like, well, wait a minute. Um, if, if we need that many volunteers, we can't just like pick the show up and be like, Oh, we're going to hold another one in Minnesota and expect that we've got a thousand volunteers that are all going to go, whoop, let's go over to Minnesota. And so there's been this kind of debate about how can we do this without like making all of our volunteers feel crazy. And so what we kind of had come up with, and one of the things that we were experimenting with, I I guess there's two different things that we were looking at. The first thing was, can we help a show that already exists, but would opt to not run if it wasn't for new leadership. And um, we were talking very closely with a couple different shows, including one that did actually decide not to run, but did not let us come in to help because of a whole series of things. And that was fine, by the way. Um, But we talked with um, that show, we talked with another couple of shows about some of this stuff, and it came down to there just hasn't been the right opportunity there, the right fit. Um, But the other thing that we realized when we started doing these like spreadsheets of like, well, how much will it cost us to help run this other show was most of the stuff that we spend, we've already spent for the year. As long as the new show isn't bigger than the existing show, um, it's not going to cost us an arm and leg more to do. One of the problems with that people don't, I think, see when you just first see it, what the Midwest gaming classic is that like a lot of people were just like, well, just postpone it and like run it in September. and It's going to be great. And it was like, but you can't just pick up the show and drop it in September and hope that all the volunteers show up. And like all the companies have different people that they use in September. So it's not like I'm going to get the companies back at the same way. And so it's like, yes, I could do that. But if I have 75% of the show and you show up, you're going to be disappointed by it. And if I have to re- reduce ticket prices by 25% to make up for the fact that the show's smaller. It's not like my expenses go down and it's not like the show's making like a bazillion dollars. So there's a good chance that we can't pull that off. So instead, if we run something smaller though, we figured out that, you know, if we can really keep our expenses low, we can do something. But then the question is, well, what can we do that would not have as many volunteers. And so the basic idea behind it, how it stands right now is that we would have uh, like one of the ways that I've described as the MGC lock-in. And so we would bring in probably around 50 pinball machines. Um, we'd bring in probably around 20 arcade video games. We'd bring in probably 30 consoles. We'd bring in a bunch of tabletop games. Um, and we would have that as a room and we'd have some events there in the room and stuff like that. And then the other side that we can bring in much easier is that we have the usual after party that's like the kind of crazy off the hook one where we have the different performances and stuff. And like last year we had Eric Bischoff live calling WCW NWO Revenge there and a bunch of other stuff like that. And we could pull that off. And so both of those don't require us to have a thousand volunteers because we can provide the arcade games. We can provide the pinball machines. We can provide the consoles. We can provide all that stuff out of stuff that we already have. We can hire people if we need to, to set them up and we can still keep our costs pretty low to do that. And so that's an, that's something that we've been talking on and off about experimenting with for a while, but it always felt like, how do you sell people on there? This is MGC, but it's smaller than MGC. And this year when we can't do bigger MGC, it seems like the right year to maybe try busting this idea out and experimenting with it more. I muted myself. The first time. I was wondering what you were doing. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. 
<laughs> I know. Yeah. So one of the shows that we work really closely with <clears throat> was in uh, Illinois, and they got hit with the rolling kind of the rolling cancellation thing, and it was amazing the the kind of backflips they had to do in order to basically cancel the show, not be on the hook for all the room costs because they, I mean, they were right. wrapped up in you know, you're responsible for this percentage of your block. And I mean, it really had a lot of conversations with the guy that runs the show and it was unbelievable the number of things that were tied in as he was going through this. Um, so my, my hat's off to you for like really sticking through it and like being able to manage all of that. It's a lot of us don't see that aspect of things. Okay. And um, it's amazing how much goes on behind the scenes. I will say, uh, I, <laughs> I do know a show that's going to be a short, a few arcades this year. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, so I will say about that, that it, at first it's painful because, I mean, I had someone email me today who I, who told me before that he's pretty certain that he's bankrupt because of this whole situation. And yeah. it's one of those things where, so much of the general public, and I mean that as people that attend the show and anybody, um, doesn't really understand a lot of what goes into it. There are, and I get it, by the way. Again, I used to work for Six Flags, and if you remember the old Six Flags commercials with the dancing bald guy, um, there was this one commercial. Yep, you remember it. Perfect. There was this one commercial <laughs> where to open the park, he just threw this big switch and all the rides turned on and were running and like everybody was happy and there Total was being bullshit. sold and food. <laughs> right. But that's how people actually think it works is that you just throw the switch and everything works. And like at great America where I was my, was the park that I worked out of mostly um, it was months of HR work and budgeting and training and millions of dollars for rides. And quite frankly, I think that, People look at that and that's how they think that shows work is that basically I just walk in and go, here's the switch. And then everybody shows up and there's stuff everywhere and everybody's happy. And then I just sit there rolling in money. And um, that couldn't be further than the truth. Um, the Midwest Gaming Classic has been around now for all, next year will be our 20th anniversary. Um, we've been around for 20 years. And the amount of work that I put into the show uh, is 60 hours a week starting in – November probably, maybe even October before the show, runs all the way up until the show, remains probably 40 to 50 week, hours a week for the two or three months after it as we figure out the rest of the bills and we have to meet with people and then we start figuring out the next year. There's a period of a couple weeks where there's like a lull where we've signed some of the contracts and now we're kind of working through like the website stuff. But there's this huge part to it that's like doing all this stuff. And then at the same standpoint, there are so many expenses that go into all of this stuff. Um, the the Midwest Gaming Classic this year was budgeted to spend almost $400,000 in our budget as expenses. Yeah. And so people are just like, oh, my God, well, they have all these people show up and clearly they're making like all this money. And it's like, yeah, but here's the thing. If we don't have 10,000 people show up and pay on Saturday – we don't even come close to breaking even like this is a huge risk. And one of the things that I do think is going to happen from this whole thing is that these smaller shows, especially the ones that don't have the ability to get this better insurance are going to be the ones that they, it, it, the risk of operating is going to be too, too much for them to move forward. And so I worry about smaller shows that would draw a thousand or 2000 people. And like, 
I love some of those shows, but if you're going to sign a contract that says, Hey, if I don't operate, I owe you guys $50,000, which is not at all out of the normal. And then you're forced not to operate and you don't have insurance for it. I mean, I, I know another show organizer that's had people charging him back on his tickets left and right. And he's told them, I am working on figuring this out. It's going to take me a little bit of time. Please give me time. And he's getting two to five chargebacks a day. He told me uh, oh. um, from people that are saying like, no, you need to give me my money back right now. And like, they, again, people just think that show organizers just roll in money and do nothing else. I think. And I wish I rolled in money. That seems a lot more fun than the stress that this thing has brought on this year. But you know, that's not, that's not the reality. And I'm glad that I'm able to share some of this because I, I've never felt like people shouldn't understand how it works. And I think that there's a fascinating part to it. That's about that. And like, don't get me wrong too. When the show works, yes, it does make a little bit of money, which is good because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do the show anymore. Um, but it's not this thing like last year, Someone on one of the websites, uh, one of the arcade websites actually, was saying, oh my God, it's so busy. The guys running the Midwest Gaming Classic are clearly getting at least a billion dollars in profits this year. Hope that they're happy with all that. And so I did the math and figured out that we needed to get 20 million attendees to get a billion dollars. And then I did the math and said, wait a minute, no, no, no. It, for Gary and me to each get a billion dollars, we need to have 40 million attendees. So we were only approximately 40 million attendees short of getting a billion dollars last year. I know, so I, close. Right. Right there. That's I know what there. website you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, I, had... I don't remember where it was, but it was funny because people brought it to me and I kept getting it throughout the day. And honestly, that type of stuff doesn't really bother me that much other than I thought it was really funny to do the math on it and figure out, wait a minute, we need 20 million people to show up. That would be a lot of people. Um, Fire Marshal might not like, be happy. No, I, and I, you know, I wouldn't be happy because we'd be putting on a hell of a terrible product, but like, that's the thing that people don't understand is that these, that like you have a real ceiling on how much you can actually make off of a show. And there's a floor that if you don't get above that floor, you're in big trouble. And so that's actually a really small band. And there's a few shows and th this goes for all industries, but there's a few shows where I feel like, um, they're, they do it in a way where they just try to make money. Um, I'm not going to call out any in particular, but there's a series of shows that are more of the comic style shows than what we are. And you can probably figure out who I'm talking about and that's fine. They're much more like, Oh, we're just trying to get a bunch of money. And actually, you know what? They're, they're out there saying that they're in big financial trouble right now, wizard world. And their shows are, are set up to make money, and even they, before this happened, were getting investors to try to invest in them because they were like, we can't figure out how to make money doing this. And so there, there's definitely this, this tough spot there, and um, that's true of all shows. And so no matter where you are in the country, you're listening to this in California, and you're like, man, you know, Midwest Gaming Classic sounds cool. If you want to support us, you can go to our website and buy something off of our shop, but... Once this is over, make sure to support the local shows, too, because otherwise we as an industry are going to lose most of the shows like this. And there's this other weird perspective that a lot of people have, which is like, oh, well, like I, I've been asked before, like, don't you want those other shows to go bankrupt? And my answer is hell no. If there's like the Texas Pinball Festival, which got closed down shortly before us, right. if 
someone hears about how awesome Texas was and they're like, cool, I wonder if there's that place near me and they look it up and they live in Illinois, they're probably going to come to Midwest Gaming Classic. I don't really feel like there's 10,000 people that go to Midwest Gaming Classic that would have otherwise opted to go to Texas if they heard about it instead because we draw most of our people from the surrounding areas. And so I feel like a rising tide floats all boats and that the more that we have groups out there, the better off everything is. But we are going to enter a time where I think it's going to be very difficult to feel comfortable running the show. And I, I worry about those other places for that. So one of the things uh, I, and you talked to this about this in, in your live broadcast over the, over the week, but there's this, there's a vibe that's been missed at the Sheraton for its, you know, intimacy and, and, and things like that. And I know there are suggestions that some, some of us have. uh, And Brian actually has a pretty cool idea. I don't know, Brian, if you want to share one of your ideas that you had about possibly, I don't know, some sort of, you know, making, making, uh, trying to, trying to recreate some of that, that, uh, I don't know. There's just a different vibe between this large venue and I, and I really like all of the you know the pinball vendors and everybody you're supposed you're able to get there and you've actually increased numbers even though sometimes it feels like there's less people because there's so much space so can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that and then I, Brian if you want to bring up one of your ideas uh, I might have trademark Brian Armitage the third yeah <laughs> <laughs> got it I will not use this unless I have permission. Okay. But uh, so talk to us a little bit about that, you know, people that are, compl- you know, saying, hey, you know, it was so much different at the Sheraton. It's so much bigger now. And, it, you know, what are your some of your thoughts on that? Well, Brian, tell me your idea first so that I don't end up accidentally <laughs> pooping all over it. Oh, it's, I mean, it's 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 just one of the things that I thought was that um, I do know there's a lot of collectors that show up and they don't really bring the creme de la creme of their games. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of them bring wow. some really kind of second-rate games. Like that, a Hellafire or something. Uh, no, no, it's no. It's more no. like the stuff they keep in the back of the car all year, and they're like, oh, here's my MGC game. Yeah. And so one of the things that I had thought, which would actually take, address that as well as create a smaller environment, is to kind of have state competitions for, get, for like, the best arcade and allow, like, say, the, a group from Minnesota to create an environment um, where they basically create their own little arcade in a space. And so you'd have people from that state or an area or however you want to organize it, trying to create something that gave you a feeling in an environment of an arcade and kind of pushing each other to bring good games. Like for instance, Adam would not start hounding me to bring my exterminator and put it dead center front in the arcade. How the hell does that come up every episode this season? (laughs) Every every episode. (laughs) But (laughs) But I mean, more to the point, like, so you lose things like, um, I, I'm not going to mention some games specifically because the people who bring them would know, but you'd start to see kind of collectors working with each other saying, come on, you can bring this game and we can set up this environment and let's get a row of Atari vectors or let's get a row of this or let's try to create this environment. And you have like a trophy that the state or the group or however you want to say it goes home with each year. So Yeah. So um, I'll address that first and then I'll go back to the other um, the, the kind of overall picture. And, uh, to address that first, the answer is I'd love to, 
the big thing is that we need to have personalities that aren't Dan Lucen that runs that because um, when as a show organizer, if I'm like, hey, guys, the state of Minnesota is going to get a room and I need you to put really cool games in there because the winner is going to get a trophy and that's going to be awesome. Everybody's like, so what, dude? Like, you just want me to bring more games so you can like <laughs> be excited about them. And, and quite frankly, a lot of those people go, well, you're just making all this money off of me. So like, that, why would I do that? And it, it doesn't work. Um, and having said that, what does work is when we have groups that go, hey, I want to create this really special environment and I want to do something. We have all those different rooms that we've used for this for years. And um, as a, for instance, the Nintendo Age group, which is, uh, they, the Nintendo Age, uh, Nintendo Age was bought by a different website and I am blanking right now on who it was because I'm so used to calling it the Nintendo Age room for the past 10 years or whatever it is. But they were going to be like the, the retro game room or something like that. I don't remember the website now. I, I apologize for that. But that group of people comes from all over the country and they get together and they push each other to bring the coolest Nintendo stuff that they have. And they push each other to finish their Nintendo projects and stuff like that and put them up in that room. And like, I will tell you on the Friday of the show, it was weird. I had this moment where it was like, it was like, I don't know, like, probably 10 o'clock at night and I had kind of finished everything for the day and I was sitting upstairs and I was like looking at the TV and like, I kind of feel like I should play a game right now because I'm not tired at all, but I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden I got an email from them that said, Hey, the Nintendo age guys are getting together right now, or the website that I'm forgetting guys are getting together right now. You should join in if you're free. <laughs> like 12 seconds later, Dan Lucen logged in and was in a zoom chat with all the guys that are usually in this room. And so they have this really cool community that's built up from that. And that can absolutely be done when there's communities like that. And we, I love those guys and I love supporting communities like that. What's been difficult is that the way that the rooms used to be presented in, um, I think that people felt really comfortable saying, Hey, you know, I can fill up a hotel room with my stuff. It's only 400 square feet or whatever. Whereas now, it's like, oh, Dan, what's the smallest room that you've got available? Hey, guys, how about 1,400 square feet? I was like, Whoa, that's a lot of space we need to fill up. And so there's like this little barrier of entry that's kind of happened. Um, but I'm 100% all for people coming up with ideas like that. Um, and so go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and my thinking was, it's like to your point, was you kind of, instead of you pushing the people to do it is you kind of find like a couple of ringleaders and you let yeah. them go off and do it. You know, you're like, yeah. it's not, you know, and you let like, like I, I'd, I'd sit there and I'd browbeat the guys in Minnesota and be like, you know, no, Chris, Chris Rhodes, I know you got a better game and I'll just call yeah. them out right now. <laughs> well, and so I will tell you that if you want to do that in a room, I've got a room for you next year. Awesome. Um, oh, and yeah. to get yeah, a and room. Like we can, we're happy to support that in different ways. Um, and like, for instance, the other thing, and this is something that I guess that people can think about is that we are so like, for instance, there's a group guys, games and beer that does their own room and it's amazing. And the guys that run that room are awesome. Um, they at night get the chance then to have their own after party in that room. So they have like a special thing. And then I basically am hands off on who you invite and stuff like that. Whereas like the arcade party upstairs is very strictly monitored. If you want to bring 
20 games and you want to bring 300 people in after hours, I think that you're insane. I do say you've got to figure out your own security here, but that's fine by me. And then you can do that. And, um, yeah, there's definitely room for that. And so, I mean, here's when it comes to the overall show, um, the difference between the Sheraton and the Wisconsin center is a lot of people did, they really liked, and I described it because it's the definition that I think is the right one as the Sheraton was like a frat party for gamers. And you went from room to room and there's a different party in each room and you're just kind of like, Hey, and you walked in and it was like a brotherhood. And there is a little bit of that that's been lost just because of the size. But what, what people don't remember, I think, or at least don't remember as much as that we had to attach a giant effing tent to the building oh, and yeah. the giant tent was not ever that comfortable. And by the way, the giant tent cost more than $45,000 to attach oh. to the building. That's another oh. thing where, yeah, a lot of people came up to me with that because we would have this thing where after the show every year, we'd have people email and they'd be like, I know that you've never realized that the show has outgrown the building. However, and it was always like, guys, I attached a $45,000 tent to the building. I realized that we outgrew the building. Um, but and like I will tell you, even the city of Brookfield, which did help us with constructing the tent, they came to us and they were like, you know what we can do? What if you guys move your vendor hall out into the parking lot so you had more space? And we were like, great, you know, that'll cost a lot more. And they were like, we're going to help you. We think that we'll, we're, we're going to give you a tourism grant to help pay for this. And it was like, great. So they wow. gave us two thousand dollars towards it every year. Which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I only paid $43,000 for the tent before taxes and stuff. So, like, they almost covered the taxes that they got back from it. Um, but, like, th there's a lot of that type of issues that people, I, I think that there's always a, a thought of looking back with rose-colored glasses. And I do that, too. Some of my favorite shows now, just because of how this whole thing is, is the first shows because it was easy and I could sit around and chat with people and there was 90 people there. But that's just not how it could continue. And we had gotten to the point with the Sheraton that we, we a couple of years before the end, said, all right, what we are going to have to do here is that we're going to have to raise ticket prices because we need to hold attendance down further. And so we raised ticket prices and that year we had the biggest attendance increase that we've ever had. And we were like, okay, so this is good that we actually made money for once. It was the first year that we had ever made more than $200 running the show. Um, and we were like, it's good that we made money finally, but like this, this can't, stand like we can't keep doing this because what are we going to do make ticket prices like 200 bucks a day and then we have not enough people or how do we do this and there was talk at, at one point of going like okay well how about we say on the saturday of the show there's only 5000 tickets and then it was like well but if we underprice them we screw ourselves because we won't make money off the show and the show will be dead and if we price them too high we won't have enough people show up and it was this weird balancing act. And so um, I do miss some of those like discovering of the different rooms, but I like the fact, and this is something that is, I think, overlooked. We are in more than three times the amount of space that we were two years ago, which is crazy. This year's show would have been in um, three times plus the amount that it was the last year at the Sheraton. The tent, the vendor tent, that we had at the Sheraton could be put down in the vendor hall that we have staked down in the side the hall. And then we could put another one beside it and you'd have space to walk around both of the tents mm -hmm. on the outside still. Nice. Um, 
And right, like there's definite benefits to being able to grow like this. And one of the things is that Gary and I, a few years ago, um, we actually went to Vegas together for a weekend. And it was funny because both of our wives were like, yeah, you're just going to Vegas to hang out. And we were like, yeah. And we were like, no, we, we are literally going to work. And from the moment that we met each other at the airport, we were talking the show to the moment that we landed on the tarmac back in Milwaukee, we were talking about the show, except when we slept. And um, we like one of the things that we said is that the goal of the show really is to give people who are passionate about this hobby a chance to get together and show what they want to show to as many people as possible. And so it's limiting of the show if we were going to be like, oh, hey, we're going to stay at the Sheraton and only have 10,000 people total come 5,000 per day. That's not the point of the show. It gives those people who have developed, like if uh, we we were mentioning that um, Raspberry Pi Pi position board earlier, if someone like that wanted to show something like that off at the show and show people who are interested, look at what I just did. If we do that and then we're like, but there's only going to be 5,000 people there. Chances are, first, that those 5,000 people are the same 5,000 people that were there last year. Secondly, mm-hmm. if you brought it one year, you have way less of a reason to bring it the next year. And so we, we, de- we didn't feel comfortable trying to limit it that way. And so growth changes things. And there is definitely a little bit less of the feel of that. But part of that too, is that a lot of these groups came to us once they moved there and they were like, you know what, we'd really like to be part of the bigger room upstairs. Okay. So yeah, having said that we're committed to continuing that as much as possible. If the show had gone forward, one of the things that we were really excited for is that we put um, this new tabletop area into the Hilton. So you'd actually have to walk across the um, what's it called? The skywalk. And you'd go up an escalator and there would be this big ballroom in the Hilton that, I mean, still it's a bigger ballroom than anything that we had at the Sheraton. And it would be just devoted to tabletop RPG and tabletop gaming, like off the beaten path. And so we were trying to get back to some of that sense of discovery. Um, But, you know, in new larger ways that where we could manage 20,000 plus people. And by the way, the show this year was tracking to do more than 20,000 people based on, in, based on internal numbers. So um, internal numbers were uh, – so we keep a whole series of numbers and we keep them very secret usually because you never know what's going to happen. And like the snowstorm the last two years did definitely affect what we had projected. So if we had told people like, oh, this is what we were projecting um, and then less people show up, they're pissed at us. Um, and so this year um, – we were very pleased that all of a sudden, uh, at the beginning of March, one month ago, about um, all signs were pointing towards attendance figures of twenty four thousand for this year's show, which would have been amazing and great, and would have finally put us on financial footing that we really felt like, hey, everything is good. We can make major improvements to the show next year, like we really want to, and feel really comfortable with everything. And then within a week, once the once the news cycle uh, really took off about the virus. <laughs> our low end was showing that we were going to have 9,000 people show up and our high end was still at 24,000. It was like, holy crap, are these off? We have no idea what we're going to get anymore. And um, yeah, mm. it's interesting stuff. Well, I I want to thank you for being back on the show. I think I think uh, 
Go Four ahead. times the charm, right? Is that what you're going to Four say? times the charm, yeah. I don't know if this is a charm exactly. But you know what? Oh, I, I think I would have rather, you know, talked about something more fun. But, right. you know, there's a real there's a reality to this that I think is actually honestly super important. And in many ways, I have a better platform this year to explain that reality to people. Um, right. Because I think that especially as collectors and people that support shows like this, there is that tendency, and I've been there myself, to look at a show and be like, this show's just here to make money. And no, yeah. it's not. If you're not passionate about this stuff, this is a stupid way to make money. I would have made a <laughs> lot more money working minimum wage at McDonald's for my the amount of time that I put into the Midwest Gaming Classic instead of running the show. But I like this stuff, and I like seeing people. And I like meeting people like you guys. And... You know, like I said, the the ultimate thing that's going to happen from this is that it's going to be harder to do this type of stuff. And so I think that it's important that we respect and appreciate those who are willing to do so. And I don't mean me, but if you want to, you know, take Dan Lucen wants more uh, thanks off of that. All right. That's cool, too. So well, I I've got, you know, Steve Merck in the chat is like, hey, you know, Arcade Radio should sponsor a Minnesota room. It would be a total success. I mean, we keep threatening to do stuff like this. Maybe maybe next year is the year. Uh, I'll book you down. Uh, how about 202 DRE? Sounds great. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm actually... Uh, I'm actually kind of excited about that. If if we could sponsor a room and do a show live from our arcade room, uh, Minnesota arcade room, I think that that's fun. perfect. Actually, yeah, uh, you know, it'd be fun. Uh, and let me put it this way: I 100% guarantee I would give you room for that. That'd be great. Wow. Which, by the way, anybody who's sitting in chat and is like, "Oh, maybe I could get a room," basically all that you need to do is email me and prove that you can do something. And it doesn't even have to be great. You just need to be like, yes, I will do this. And I will be like, yeah, I can do that. So, um, <laughs> and generally once we trust people, we're more than happy to make it, you know, as awesome as possible. Quick aside here, actually, yeah. uh, one of the groups that we had a couple of years ago, um, overdrive reality came to me out of the clear blue and was like, Hey, you know, we'd like to do something at your show. So I gave them one of the hotel rooms at the Sheraton. And was like, here you go, do whatever you want. And they were like stunned because they were like, well, aren't you concerned about what we're doing in there? I'm like, as long as it's not pornographic, oh. as long as we're not injuring people. Yeah, I know. What's um, wrong with as long as it's not either of those. <laughs> I, I have a funny story about that. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay, after we uh, go off the air. Yeah, after we go off the air, which we will, we want to wind down after this. So, uh, all right, all right. But um, they, they did this room, and uh, I said, yeah, our basic rules are nothing uh, illegal, nothing pornographic, and no hurting anybody, and do whatever you want in your room, and I'm fine with it. And um, they did a great room, and so they came back the next year, and we had them do more stuff, and they are now the ones that present the after party every year. Um, and they've been like, we still can't believe that you just took a risk on us where you were just like, yeah, like, you know, come on in and take this room. And I'm like, that's what we do with everybody. We ultimately, it's the smaller guys who want to do something that as long as you're going to show up and actually do something, yeah, I want to support you because that's the people who like, aren't going to show up at wizard world and get a booth because there's no way. And if you're providing that content, I'm going to do my best to help provide the space for that as long as it's not going to break my bank. Yeah. That'd be good. All right. That sounds, that sounds great. All right. So we're going to have you back on the show for a preview of 2021 for sure. And if, if something comes up like a pop-up, I want to know about it. I'm going to, I'm going to keep in touch. So where should we look 
for anything MGC related? So um, I guess the biggest thing right now is following our Facebook page um, because I will update there every so often. Another thing that you can definitely do is sign up for our email list on MidwestGamingClassic.com. Um, it will pop up if you haven't been there after like two or three pages that you've gone through. If not, you can go to the bottom of the page and um, actually force it to pop up there. And uh, the other thing is that if you do want to support the show, like I said, there's a lot that we don't know about money right now. And so if you have the means and you have the ability right now to support the show, head to MinnowsGamingClassic.com. Look at our shop. We've got a bunch of stuff like this new Nintendo game, Exit Loop, which was Ooh. supposed to be the VIG game for the year. But uh, now I have 400 copies of it and <laughs> only about probably 50 to 100 VIGs to sell it to. So like you can get this or we've got a number of shirts and stuff like that. We're not shipping most of it until June because our production house for the shirts was shut down due to the situation. And they're not sure exactly how quickly they can spool back up. But once they have, like, all the screens were made before we got shut down. Mm. So as soon as it reopens, they just go, and they produce them, and then we can send them out. Um, but we'd appreciate any help that anybody can give us there. Um, and, yeah. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, Steve and Murky in the chat says we need room for at least 80 to 100 games in the Minnesota room. So we're going to make sure that room is big. And uh, I'll give you D and E. All right, D and E. We're in. We're got to do this yeah. now. Now I'm saying on the air that we're gonna arcade radio is gonna like do something. That means Mark, you have to fly in. I, I was there gonna just go. bring a U-Haul because I was gonna bring some stuff. That'd be so sweet. Okay, there you go. All right, I'm counting on you, Mark, because I know Brian. I've done it. My wife is from Minneapolis, so I have any <laughs> excuse to get up there. <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh hang on hang around with us after the show dan we'll we'll wind up hey everybody in the chat thanks for hanging in us with uh with us tonight Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. you know this has been the double r's thanks for listening in uh i i guess this is where we have to open the show notes and figure out what we need to say at the end of the show that's right <laughs> brian <laughs> oh, you Mark. like us at facebook arcade radio or check us out semi-regularly Upgraded, updated. This is updated. Updated. You can fix blog at Arcade Radio. The, the never updated blog. R A D I O dot com. I finally fixed that typo. Okay, call and leave comments and questions on the game line, like Billy Seven Six One Two Five Four Eight G A M E. That's four two six three. In case you can't spell. <laughs> Subscribe to our YouTube channel and click on the notification bell so you'll know when we're streaming live. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Is this music getting louder? What the hell? Uh, I'll, I'll turn it down. Here you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast <laughs> on Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever podcasts <laughs> are streamed. All right. Well, that's going to be it for the show. So from the Arcade Radio team, we hope you had a great time. We'll see you in a week because that's how we roll right now. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. I love that. Pull over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love. You gotta do that again, Brian. You gotta do that again. (laughs) That's some good stuff right there. I popped this. Had no idea what we were gonna do. (laughs) 